Episode 10, Private and Public Blockchains, recorded 25th of November, 2019. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from CoinCompass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. Visit coincompass.com for more information. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Yep, let's go. All right, Gordon. So tell us, what is a private blockchain? Well, what is a public blockchain? I hear you ask. Uh, well, I'm not going to go into the explanation of blockchain. You can have a look at our previous episodes. But for the sake of simplicity, let's consider the blockchain a database or a spreadsheet or what people call a ledger. The key terminology is distributed ledger, but let's just call them all the one thing. So a private database is obviously something that only certain people can access and a public database is something that everyone can access. So with this, this, these are key terminologies. And again, yeah, you can find these out on our website and our previous um, podcasts and writings. So distributed ledger is one that is shared where anyone can join. Yeah, that, one of the things that people do get confused between private and public blockchain is they think that a private blockchain is not distributed. And actually it is. So the key difference is the participation a private blockchain has to be, in effect, an invite only. So that might be a corporation or a private business, and whereas a public blockchain is obviously on the internet. So it's more about the participation than it is the other effects like centralization, decentralization, distributed or uh, otherwise. So with that, anyone who's ever used a Google spreadsheet, when you... Um turn on sharing you've got a few options there you can share it to anyone it's available publicly so that means it's distributed anyone can basically find it or only to people that you invite so with the invitation um it's emailed the, the link is emailed directly to some people and you give that person's email address access so public blockchain like bitcoin Anyone can join the block Bitcoin blockchain, download the whole blockchain, as in become a node, become a miner. Anyone can do that. Private blockchain, not open to everyone. That's correct. So again, it really comes down to the participation. Can you access the blockchain? Do you need an invite? Or like Bitcoin, can you just download it? You don't need to ask anyone's permission. Can you just go and start doing them? That's the menu. So who's... Who's using private blockchains and why? Absolutely everyone. Why? Uh, because it's the blockchain buzzword. Most of them around supply chains. So if you're a manufacturer or something, maybe a car manufacturer or whatnot, you may have certain vendors and dealers and distributors that you want to share a ledger with. So it's a private ledger, but it still is being shared amongst certain uh, companies or organizations, and again, it is invite only. So just like the public Bitcoin network where you've got nodes, you have the same terminology. Whichever company probably set it up, it's probably got more nodes and more um, authority over the others, but 
the theory is the same. You still have nodes like you do in the public blockchain, but with a private blockchain, I can't just uh, decide that I want to be a part of, you know, Ford's uh, supply chain. So when you say nodes, we're talking about people who have downloaded the entire ledger and that ledger is getting updated at the same time. Um, but just, let's just say, okay, Ford is running a blockchain. Why would they go into the effort of setting up a whole new blockchain when they can just use something like Google Spreadsheets or an internal system to share spreadsheets, to share a ledger? That is the million dollar question. To be honest, I'm not sure of the answer because we've had databases for you know 70 years and they've been working pretty well. Databases nowadays are super cheap, super fast and quite secure actually so for the you know a fraction of the cost you could actually set up a similar system whereby uh, Ford Motor Company designed a database and they shared certain logins and usernames with their vendors and they could hook into Ford's system and it would be you know a thousandth of the cost in terms of development maintenance support mm. and so actually that's one of the arguments against private blockchains because they're just incredibly expensive and a blockchain sort of by design is meant to be secure and mm -hmm. immutable, what we call an immutable ledger. So it's kind of like the spreadsheet analogy. You've got, you know, a thousand roads in a spreadsheet. All you can do is actually add another road, like 1001, 1002. Mm -hmm. You can't actually go yeah. backwards and change it. So it kind of, yeah. it kind of defeats the purpose of, of having a blockchain, to be honest. But there are certain use cases where perhaps not just one company, but say a consortium or a foundation or maybe a nonprofit had mm -hmm. maybe 20 or 30 members and they all mm -hmm. had like equal sort of access to it. Um, that might make more sense. So the expense in a blockchain, is that an expense in setting up the network or is that an expense in mining? Because do private blockchains mine? Are they involved in the you know, um, ha ha uh, cryptographic hash? Yes and no. Most private blockchains uh, have a, not, usually not mining, usually they have another form called proof of stake. And so they're not actually mm -hmm. wasting or spending energy like in the Bitcoin blockchain solving puzzle. The main reason behind having that private blockchain, I guess, is for that immutability amongst several partners. The problem is, as you said, for example, with Bitcoin's blockchain, the proof of work algorithm is really what gives it security. So if you're gonna mm -hmm. take away that proof of work algorithm, you have to kind of wonder where that security is coming from. And the other question was the cost. The cost is actually more in the development. So to get a developer nowadays, you could get a couple of developers together and create you know, a website, a database in a couple of weeks, maybe a month, small project, or you could hire blockchain engineers at, you know, squillion dollars and um, see your costs pretty much blow out. So once that site, sorry, once that blockchain has been designed, you've got the maintenance of it, you've got, you know, patching, you've got security, you've got all sorts of things that you need to worry about. Um, whereas using a centralized database, I mean, nowadays it's even free. There's pretty much open yeah. source tools to do that for free. So is block is there anything more to private blockchain or a company blockchain than just a media hub? Because we did see this was a Heinz blockchain or Campbell Soup blockchain 
they just added blockchain to a name and the stock price went 400%. So is there actually any value to a private blockchain beyond media hype? You're probably asking the wrong person about this because I'm uh, not in a traditional industry like a car industry or the insurance or something that deals in supply chains. I guess the, the only thing that I could come up with is that obviously it's faster um, because you're not dealing with proof-of-work algorithms. Mm -hmm. It's also more scalable. So if you wanted to add another node, so for example, if uh, Ford had a new vendor or something like that, they could just um, revoke access to the old vendor and give the new vendor access. But then again, you can do that in a database. And most of the databases nowadays can do more than a million transactions a second. And these are yeah. open source databases. These are things that you can just basically plug in, you know, within an hour, you could set up a database on a website fairly easily. So again, it kind of defeats the purpose of the security or the proof of work of a blockchain. All right, cool. Okay, that answered my question. Yeah, essentially what I came up with is that public blockchains are more secure and they're open and transparent. So if you're dealing with something like nonprofit or donations or something, or government even, when you need to track the actual transactions, the public can kind of see what's going on. So I guess that's the advantage. Okay. The advantage of private blockchains is they're scalable and they're faster. In terms of private blockchains, I guess the disadvantage is that they are centralized. And if they're centralized, then you may as well just use a database because it can be infinitely yep. faster. It's going to be probably more secure and it's going to be cheaper to develop as well. So you got lower security if you use a mm -hmm. private blockchain and uh, you need trust. And so if you are having to trust uh, certain participants in that private blockchain, then why don't you just use a database? You know, get an off-the-shelf database and give someone a username and password and call it a day. Yeah. And if you need to run a secure computer, check out our YouTube videos. We show you how to do that. Absolutely. Not a private <laughs> blockchain. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, permission and mm whether you can participate freely like a public blockchain or whether you need invite only, which is obviously an enterprise blockchain or corporate blockchain. Nowadays, the line is actually blurring. So a couple of years ago, it was private versus public. And now there's sort of these hybrid blockchains where some of it's public. So you might have like a public ledger so that people could track transactions. But the algorithm, the consensus algorithm that they're using is actually uh, permission only. So maybe the uh, Ford blockchain is open, so you could see mm -hmm. certain transactions, but you can't yeah. participate in that blockchain at all. So it's sort of this yeah. model yeah. where it's a bit of both. I think for another episode, it's worth us looking into sovereign digital currencies because a few, like Russia, especially in China, are talking about creating their own digital currencies. So yeah, we'll, um, it's a good segue for us to talk about that in another podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, so to sum up, up, it's not just private versus public. It's really private, public, and open and closed. So mm -hmm. I tried to rack my brains for a couple of examples of use cases, and this is what I came up with. So you could have, obviously, Bitcoin is a public and open blockchain. So you could, the, there's really only one use case for that at the moment, that's money. You could also have a public but closed blockchain. So you might have something like voting. That could be something that 
is public, but you don't necessarily want everyone to see those transactions. You could have a private but open blockchain, what we talked mm -hmm. about, like a supply chain or something to do with government records. Mm -hmm. But you could also have a private and closed blockchain. And I kind of couldn't really think of a use case for that. Maybe mm -hmm. something like a tax return or something like that. But yeah, I, I, to be honest, uh, a database would make more sense. Okay. Cool. Well, I don't have any questions and I think we've hopefully summed it up. But uh, yeah, anything else you guys, listeners, want us to cover again, please just comment, post. And because, yeah, our job here is to uh, make the complex world a Bitcoin simple. Well, try anyways. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Paris. Thanks, Gordon. See you guys next time. Cheers. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass or the Bitcoin Basics podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass or the Bitcoin Basics podcast will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit CoinCompass.com for more information and please contact us.